Our scripture reading this morning is uh, Hebrews 1, uh, verses 5 through 14, found on page 1001 of the Pew Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy, and we thank you for your word. And we just want to take a moment to lift Scott up as he brings the message this morning, open our hearts and our minds to what you would have us to hear uh, as, as your word is spoken, Father. And we, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens and the, are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have, will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And they are not all are they not all ministering spirits sit out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The word of God for the people of God. Continue to make our way as um, the author of Hebrews is showing why Jesus is superior to the angels. We've looked at how he's superior to the prophets, and um, last week we looked at who Jesus is and what he does as being superior to the angels, but now we're seeing the arguments and the reasoning behind that. And um, he, he goes to several psalms um, to make this argument. And before we get into this, I want to make a point, especially to some of our younger people, because you haven't seen a lot of examples of what this is called um, in recent discussion. This is an argument. It doesn't mean people are mad and they're fussing. It means someone has made a point, Jesus is superior to the angels, and then they're giving reasons for that. And I say that because... We don't see a lot of that because what we tend to see is people kind of share their emotions. I feel like this, and somebody else says, I feel like that, and that's kind of the thing said so that there's no reasoning and argument to back up what is claimed. Or a lot of times what we see around with a lot of our leaders is just calling each other names as though that settles an argument. Of course you would believe that. You're a woman. Of course you would believe that. You're a man. Of course you would believe that because, and you know, we just hear people saying bleeding heart or fascist, and we don't see a lot of what this is. So just to follow what's going on is somebody's taken points of reasoning and saying, this is why I believe this. And that's the way we should do everything is I believe something and here's the reasons for it, not just because I feel like it or somebody calls a name, but here's the reasoning. 
Now, when we're talking about God, the points that we refer to are from Scripture. Now, if we're, if we're talking about something else, the points we might look to are scientific studies or um, other things like that. But here, we're looking at what we believe about God. And in order to do that, we reason our way to it by looking at Scripture. And that's what, what the author of Hebrews is doing, which is a neat thing to look at, showing us how to read Scripture and think about and reason and follow the, the line of reasoning to, to what he says about Jesus. And so what he's saying is Jesus is superior to angels, and here are the reasons for believing that. Now, before we get any further, I also have to kind of talk about angels for a bit because, well, let's just say go type angels into YouTube and see how much goofiness pops up. There, you'll get all sorts of things of 10 ways to see if your guardian angel is near. I'm not sure what kind of guardian angel you have. If your angel is not near, maybe uh, you don't try yours as much as I try mine. Um, there's also, I found a playlist of music to help attract your guardian angel, which is an exciting idea. But, so let me, let me save you some of the trouble. If you see a lot of um, bubbles and rainbows and puppies and baby dogs, that means your guardian angel is near. And if you smell birthday cake or something for no, no reason... Um, they didn't have a lot of scripture reasons. So we're going to look at scripture reasons about what angels really are. Um, I get off on a rant and I forget what I'm doing. So in the Bible, it talks about angels. And it, you heard the translation in um, the um, call to worship this morning of messenger. That's what the word means. Uh, it's come from the Greek word angelos means messenger. And there's a similar word in Hebrew, malak, which is messenger. And it's just the idea of one who carries the message to God from God. And so it could actually be of, of people. If someone was to come to me and say, um, I have, have a message from someone, they would be an angel. That, that's what that would mean they are. Um, and the scriptures also in the Old Testament use a couple of other terms. Uh, cherub, and which I said is not fat little babies with wings. It's, it's these terrifying things that people are tempted to worship or are afraid of. That's why angels have to say, don't be afraid, because they're scary. Uh, or there's the others called seraphim, seraphs, which are called the burning ones. And the idea is there's flames and fire. And this is the biblical idea, is that they're messengers and servants of God. And the reason Hebrews is probably dealing with this is probably the understanding of, of angels being those who carried the old covenant to Moses, gave him the, the covenant, were kind of mediators of that. And at the time of the New Testament, there was a lot of speculation and, and a lot of writings about angels and hierarchies and things that seemed to be creeping in, catching people's attention, catching them going off and speculating on things. So these are what angels are. In other words, they're not people who get promoted for doing good deeds. When we die, we don't become angels. Angels are another type of creature made to be angels. Um, and we are people made to be people. We were created in God's image. Jesus Christ did not become an angel. Jesus Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became a human. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, and he didn't get promoted to be an angel. He is a glorified human, and that is your destiny, 
is to be fully alive and fully a human, to be glorified in the way that Christ is glorified and to glorify us. And so we're not looking um, to, to hear a bell ring and know that an angel gets its wings as much as you might enjoy the movie. And um, we, we know that we are people and angels are of another um, sort. And we aren't told a whole lot, though there is speculation about the number and hierarchy and exact roles. We do know they are servants of God, and some rebelled, becoming demons. But what we look at is what Scripture tells us, and one of the things that is made clear here is Christ is superior to the angels. Christ is greater than the angels. He is not a creature. He's not another being. And so let's look at these psalms that lay this out and explain it to us. The first set of things that we look at are some quotes that show us Christ is the Son. Christ is the very character and nature of God. This is what he was saying, uh, what we looked at previous verses, where he is the exact imprint of um, the very nature of God, the radiance of his glory. In other words, he's not a creature. He is himself God. And so the arguments for this is he quotes from Psalm 2, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Begetting is, is you, you, have, you have the same nature of God. You're, you're not something different, which the angels are. Or again, and he explains, uh, I, um, I will be a father to him and he shall be my son. This is taking a passage uh, from 2 Samuel 7 where God makes a covenant with David um, to have him reign or someone on his throne reign forever. You might remember this where David said, I want to build a house for God. And God comes back and says, David, you're a shepherd. I appreciate the thought, but I'm God. I'm the one who builds you a house. That's not exactly, that's kind of the Scott Seeley translation. But God says, you don't do something for me. I do something great for you. I will build your house. I will make a throne, and your son will reign on that throne, and that throne will be forever. And so there's this understanding of a Messiah, a king who is going to reign as the son of David forever and ever because it's an everlasting throne. And part of that promise from 2 Samuel 2, 7 is God saying that your son will be... I will be a father to him, and he will be my son. And all of these are picking up themes of this covenant with David, that the son of David will reign, that he will have an everlasting throne. And he's picking up all of these passages that are talking about the Messiah, the anointed one. And so it's it's no mistake that he's looking to Psalms, which were written by David, who had received this covenant promise of the king who would last forever, who would rule forever. So Christ is the Son, God the Father, God the Son. More than that, Christ is worthy of worship, which is not appropriate of any creature. We talked about last week that if we were to worship Jesus and he was not fully God, that would be blasphemy because God alone is worthy of our worship. And yet, in verse 6, we hear a quote Uh, From the Song of Moses, it's at the end of Deuteronomy, let all God's angels worship him. And he understands that as talking about the Messiah. Let the angels worship the Messiah. 
We're tempted to worship angels, but worshiping an angel is inappropriate. And yet, the one we do worship is worthy of worship because he is fully God. And even the angels are commanded to worship him. Uh, I want to make a note that the, the author of Hebrews is using he, um, Greek translations. And so if you were to look back in Deuteronomy, you're going to see a little bit of difference in the wording there because the, the original Hebrew talks about the sons of God speaking about angels. Um, when, and there's a, a translation of this that was added to the Psalms that they would have sung that was in Greek that talks about the angels worshiping and being commanded to worship him. And so God speaking to the angels commands the worship um, of the Messiah. So he is worthy of worship. He is the very nature of God. But also he goes on to contrast the roles of angels and the Son. That the angels are servants, but the Son of God is the reigning king. And so verse 8, your throne, O God, is forever and ever The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. This is from Psalm 104. No, I'm sorry. Um, This is Psalm 45, which we read earlier. And if you'll go back and look at that, it's interesting the way um, the, the reference of God, because it's talking to God and says that God, your God, has anointed you. And who is it talking to? He's talking to the Messiah and calling him God. The Messiah himself is the one who reigns, and he is forever and ever. Contrasting this with verse 7, he makes angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. The angels are servants. They do what God tells them to do, what they're commanded to do, and yet the Son is the one who rules, who gives commands, and whose throne is eternal. Your throne is forever and ever, speaking of the Messiah. Psalm 102 again, addresses the Lord, who is referring to the Messiah as being the one, you, Lord, laid the foundation, verse 10 of Hebrews, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. They'll be changed, but you are the same. He is one who reigns, and he reigns forever and ever. And so, the one who lays the foundation of the world, the one who creates all things himself must be uncreated. The one who creates all things, who lays the foundation, obviously must be there before the foundation of the world. He is eternal, and he reigns forever versus angels who are created and who are servants and ministers. Think about that. However many years ago, however many billion years ago, there was a bang that created all things. God said, let there be light. The moment of creation, so far beyond our comprehension, Jesus was there, reigning in power, the eternal one. And think of this, that there will be somewhere between four and a half or ten billion years from now, our sun will be extinguished. Our solar system will go cold. Everything, as we know, is supposed to cease. It's a long time. I mean, I don't know, big difference between us if there's four billion years or ten billion years. It's a long time. 
He reigns forever and ever. All of that, that billions and billions of years of all of creation, he was before and he will be after. And the scripture says, this creation that wears out be like a garment that he changes. When you go home and you change clothes and you throw your jacket on the bed, that's what the universe is like to God. It's just a momentary thing. It's a change of clothing because he reigns forever and ever and ever. He is everlasting, and he will reign with justice and peace over all of creation. And all of these things are temporary and changing versus his eternal reign. Finally, he is exalted. The angels are ministering spirits. They sent out for the sake of those who are inheriting salvation. The angels are ministering for you, for your good. But God has exalted Christ to the right hand of the majesty, and he is exalted where the angels are called to serve us who are inheriting salvation. Because of this, I wonder what comfort people find in angels. I mean, I, I'm not trying to, like, dismiss, but I, but I wonder, and I think, I think there's something where people like the idea of knowing something in the spiritual realm beyond what we can know here. I think there's something comforting about the idea that, yes, there is more than we see. There is a reality beyond what we just experienced, that there are spiritual beings serving God. But I think there's also part of that that we we feel a closer to connection, like God is so great, how can we relate to him? And yet, here are the angels, and, and, and yet Christ became human. We can have communion with him, and he cares for us. Why would we be interested in the angels rather than Christ? Why would we find more comfort in some spirit that's guarding us rather than Christ himself who died on the cross for us who reigns forever and ever and is so far superior to them. I mean, go straight to the head, and he is the one who loves and protects us. And it is real that he is sending to, to commanding all of these for our good, and yet Christ is the one that we have communion with and that we know. I think there might be part of the idea of angels as being something that we can kind of Maybe manipulate or control. I play the playlist and the guardian angel comes. I can talk to my angel and ask him for things. But, but Christ is one we cannot command because he reigns eternal. He doesn't need our advice. Isn't it great that we worship one who rules and governs for our good, knowing more than we would ever know and able to do more than we can imagine? Why would we settle for anything other than Christ himself? And finally, take, the, take the, the great joy and comfort in the idea of one who reigns forever and ever, whose kingdom shall have no end, because so much of this world is changing and shifting. Many of you were on trips at the beach. You were having a good time. And then about Thursday hit you, and you thought, oh, I'm about to have to go back to work. Your joy and delight was diminished because you knew it was coming to an end. 
And maybe you've read a great book and you see the, the pages getting fewer and fewer and you're thinking, oh, I'm enjoying this so much. I hate to see it stop. I hate to see it come to an end. And your joy is diminished because you know it's a passing thing. Or maybe you, you look at baby pictures and you think, oh, I can't believe my child is old enough now to be in the communicants class. I remember when they were so little, they were up here being baptized. Make time stop. I wish I could just keep them like this forever. And then before you know it, you look and your son might be a little old, taller than you. Because even that joy is passing. And as much as you enjoy, time bears all her sons away. One of the great joys of heaven, it is forever and ever. Your joy will never diminish. There will not be some stage 10 billion years into the future when you think, we only got 3 billion years of this left. Forever and ever, there is a never a moment of the delight and the joy I have in my Savior is going to come to an end. His justice, his peace, his love that you only know in part will only grow as you become more and more blessed in the full enjoying of God forever. Please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.